Welcome to Care Captains, the podcast where Norbert Farkas has candid conversations with visionary healthcare leaders. Explore the projects, challenges, and victories in disease prevention, diagnosis, and cure. Join us for a masterclass in healthcare innovation for well-being. In today's episode, Sanya Tomovska shares her career journey transitioning from a scientist to working in the pharmaceutical industry. She shares her experiences in clinical research, marketing, and leadership roles at Novartis, Abbott, and her venture Quant Biomarkers. Sanya highlights her pivot towards preventive healthcare, focusing on early detection of chronic diseases through biomarkers. Additionally, she talks about her involvement in the Virtual Advisory Board, where seasoned professionals contribute to strategic planning for various organizations. Throughout this conversation, Sonia emphasizes the importance of curiosity, continuous learning, and adaptability for the upcoming generation in navigating a dynamic landscape. Hi everyone, this is another episode of Care Captains. Today I'm very delighted to have Sonia Tomovska on the show. Good afternoon, Sonia. How are you today? Hi, Norbert. Yeah, end of the week, Friday, very close to Christmas. Uh, you know, feeling great. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much for coming. And when I have a look at your career trajectory, you started as a scientist. Um, you had many years in the industry. Now you are running your own company. You are on various advisory boards. So, Sonia, could you please guide us through your career story? It's a very good question. And I like that you raised it now because it's, it takes reflection, I think, for everybody of us to say, you know, what was my career story? And has it been connected really with the education or is really an outcome of who we are, what our interests are, what our talents are. And it's all about, you know, learning and getting skills as we move forward. And I think about my career, one of the biggest driver behind this was my curiosity. Being a scientist, this certainly opens a lot of opportunities for understanding much more about life. And that's why I became molecular biologist. After you started in um, science, um, as you mentioned, in molecular biology, I think you went to the Friedrich Mircher Institute and then after to Ross. So how did you transition from a scientist role to the industry, Sanya? Yes. You know, I mean, I think being a scientist really leads in understanding um, eventually the basics of uh, the biology. I was always very curious about, you know, how can the science help people? This is really where, where the connection went. I also always wanted to be a doctor and, and just a life turned up like this. So I became a scientist. And so I then, then was looking for at least finding the connection between the science and the medicine, because I thought, you know, this is really a very natural step. And so I then from Friedrich Mischer Institute moved to the medical sphere, did my PhD eventually at the University Hospital in Basel in a collaboration with NIH in the US and Roche. At a time when everybody was curious about sequencing the human genome and understanding how the genes are really triggering the development of a disease. And so that is really where I did my change in a way from basic science to actually more applied science and closer to the patients. And uh, from applied science, I think you moved to the dark side, so to say, to, <laughs> to Novartis. And of course, I'm just making a joke here. There you had various roles in clinical, in, in marketing. How was your journey from applied clinical science to the industry, Sanya? 
it's all about me being a person who always need to have a big picture. When I thought first about the basic science, it was amazing to study all of that processes in the models. But I always wanted to understand how this really translates into the humans, which is always very challenging because if you if we can understand this in a small organism, we can not translate. We humans are very complex. Once I, I started working with patients, then I realized, okay, we, we definitely can understand what drives the development of a disease and understand the biology behind it. But how do we really find a solution for this? And then always, I always had the next question into my career path where I was then focusing on and said, I have to learn more. What do we do with it? Right. I, I have found, actually, I submitted a patent together with a team at the University Hospital in Basel. We had a very unique issue technology. And then we identified two potential genes that would actually drive the prognosis of prostate and bladder cancer. And then I thought, and what about it, really? What is it that we can do with it? And that's where I moved then drug development and understanding how could we help manage, find a solution for knowing the reasons behind the diseases and how can we cure them? How can we have an impact? What was exactly your role in this uh, clinical development project, Sanya? When I changed from university hospital, which I already work with patients and more in the lab, I then started in the pharmaceutical industry. And then Novartis at that time was having a very special program for the women uh, of academia who would eventually, you know, like to know about how the industry works and how do we develop drugs. They um, engage me a one-year show around during my last year at the PhD. And, uh, you know, I could have seen what really exists within the pharmaceutical industry, clinical research, which is then a little bit more different because it has a quite clear target product profile for, for development of a product. While the research is in a one way free, you do research in many directions. But then uh, within the pharmaceutical world, that becomes a little bit more factual. And, uh, you know, there is a clear direction of what are we developing, for whom do are we developing. And so I learned all of that process that is very important to understand that you start with some unmet need that exists and then go through the value chain and understand all the, the parts and, and pieces in, in that complexity of developing a, a treatment for the patients. And I see that probably you had other big questions ahead of you, what you wanted to answer. And then you moved from clinical research to, to marketing and medical affairs. So how was this, again, quite a big transition from research to, to marketing and medical yeah. affairs? Anya? Norbert, we talked. I'm very curious. So so I thought, you know, after, after three years, since I learned all about the clinical research, I designed a clinical protocol. I really did almost everything around it. Uh, you can certainly do this for many years. But I thought, you know, one of the things that, that I understood that were still difficult is eventually how to design these clinical trials that reflect really the message also from the other perspective of our customers. And then I, I thought once we are in the clinical research, we, we literally forget the external environment. So I thought joining the the marketing department and into the world of uh, competitive intelligence, understanding really what is existing on the market and why would we develop products that can be differentiated, that will bring value really to, to the community. I would like to explore that and understand, talk more with the customers. It has been very unusual that I agree with you at that time. I always, throughout my career, I have to, to say that I'm thankful that there will be always a person who will give me the chance to, to explore that very unique transition. And, and so, yeah, 
became a head of communication, brand communication role just to, to transition. And, uh, you know, I, I learned all about uh, building a brand and, and all about marketing. I can think it was quite a big mindset change. For me, scientists come across that you create a hypothesis and then you try to refute or prove the hypothesis with various experiments. And then you come into marketing where everything is gray, everything is negotiable. Do you recall your transition from clinical research into marketing? Yes. So it was a challenge, more for my environment than for me, right? Because they thought I'm a scientist and then what we do with the scientists in the marketing. Because of my curiosity, very early understood what their challenges were. Of course, for me, it was also very scary. So I have never worked in marketing. So I always thought that must be nose to something very special. And, you know, as soon as I stepped in and, and started working in the projects, they realized that I really bring completely different skill set and different perspective within the project and different value. So if they would try to build a message around the product that I thought it was very gracious, what you say, you know, and everywhere it, it could be so amicable, so twisted in two or three different directions, then I was very clear what our clinical program is saying. I could read the data. I exactly knew how, but then I understand what they want to say it with it. So I was able to bridge that messaging from science to marketing. And therefore, you know, they start to realize that they would need more people in that sense, who are able to translate the message. Absolutely. And it looks like that you liked marketing so much that you joined Abbott and you started to even have higher and higher seniority roles. You became a global brand team lead, uh, therapy area lead. So how was this uh, leadership aspect of your career transition? I stayed in a few functions and also in Novartis. I made business strategy and planning. I was working for China Initiative. I went to outsourcing and offshoring to India. So you still could see that that was really as an upside in, in a big corporate world. There is many doors or many opportunities to get new skills. And then, then the Abbott transition was very interesting. I still remember the time when I joined Abbott and, and honestly tell the story. People say to me, how did, did you decide to join Abbott? And I it was really a coincidence that I joined their, their town hall. They just acquired Solve and the CEO was talking about what is it that he want to develop with this newfounded division. And it was so motivating, Norbert. He was always talking about partnership and collaboration and people. I haven't I think I just got motivated by his fact that uh, he thought he can change or he can grow up, you know, this business just because of the way of uh, how people will work together. Their vision was at that time really quite big. I mean, Abbott was still having Humira, who is one of the biggest products worldwide, right? And so I thought it might be interesting because it was so entrepreneurial. They were, it was all about building this division. Then I thought maybe I could see if I can still be successful somewhere else out of this world, so out of my comfort zone, if you want. And then I discovered a quite interesting world in Abbott. I loved my experience there because it was a very different mindset. Abbott is a very diverse company, grows very differently than a typical pharmaceutical company. I like the way they have been able to reinvent themselves every few years. And that mindset culture that I appreciated at Abbott. Really nice story. And uh, I think it calls for the question that since you had so many interesting roles, which one did you like the best, Sonia, in, in all these various uh, exciting engagements that you had? Yeah. I think all, all of my two building roles, did I say? It's a venture building, although in a corporate world. One role that I liked in Novartis was definitely 
building competitive intelligence department. So I built it in development, collaborated with marketing. We used to have a competitive intelligence, but development never had competitive intelligence. And how could we build up the trials in that way that they have already a competitive differentiating message? And so, you know, this is, I built this function with a group and I had a full analytical group in, in India. And that, that hasn't existed before in Novartis. So I had to do a roadshow to many therapeutic areas to explain what is it, why would that bring a difference. You know, we build up a platform that was able analytically to summarize reports from all published clinical trials within the therapeutic area and identify or compare our trials for the competitiveness of, of messages. So that was really entrepreneurial. I have to say, you know, it has never been done before and I, and I built it and I was very proud of it. And in Abbott, I have to say my last role because I was a regional head for Eastern European markets also once again had to go through a process of M&A. So there was a acquisition that ABBA did, and it was all about of integrating it, being conscious not to destroy the business, but build a culture and bring a new talent so that we can maintain it. We can also incorporate this in our business as being compliant. So it has many parts of it. Of, uh, of, of a true challenge. And, and because, you know, normally we would acquire these entities that also would have not only development products, but also manufacturing sites. So that would involve actually governmental affairs and a lot to do with the local governments. And so I like that because it, it has been so diverse. And you decided to leave the industry behind after almost 20 years and you became an entrepreneur. So what made you leave the industry behind and how did you start um, your new venture, one biomarker, Sanya. And then COVID came. I think many people has had, you know, a special time during the COVID, kind of having the time for reflection, thinking about next steps. I finally stopped to travel at that time. And obviously, you know, with my regional role, I have been always traveling. And I thought I loved the moment being at home, being able to read, you know, come come to something that, that mattered to me a lot. And then I thought, okay, well, I guess, you know, I... I would need to think about where would I make impact next. And so I everything started, interestingly, with um, Weizmann Institute of Science. I have been becoming a part of their um, board it's a, for a non-profit organization that uh, was promoting and is still promoting the science of the Weizmann Institute of, of Israel. And I was always impressed by the way they have been um, building science, but the entrepreneurship too. So that was somehow the trigger. Generally, one of the fields where they uh, were doing a lot of research was the field of longevity. And that is really what, what I got very impressed by because I didn't even knew what that meant, really. And then I realized, what is it behind it? That is a very diverse field, again, for all my curiosity, connecting many different sectors in healthcare, but also very important in technology and pharma. And then I found in quant biomarkers. Because I thought based on everything what I've done in this 24 years, starting from my research, but also during the time of developing drugs and treatments, I realized that the biomarkers is probably the only thing that currently will help us, first of all, understand the changes that biologically happen. And probably analyzing them, millions of available data records might be really uh, the holy grail where we could uh, develop insights and understand actually the trajectories of the disease. 
Let's stay on this. And uh, when I hear the word uh, longevity, it comes to my mind that we are going to live until 200 years, but I'm pretty sure it's it's not how you define it. So what is this problem, what you are trying to solve with quant biomarkers in the longevity space, Sanya? It means long life, right? In the translation. And I think, you know, people connected it simply because I think it's a fact that, you know, we doubled our lifespan in the last 20 years. So that's that's a fact due to all the new discoveries and better medical practices and infrastructure building. And we, we are carrying on also a lot of chronic diseases, right? Because they are part of the aging process. Biologically, if we understand, uh, you know, the biology of aging, we would know that, uh, you know, the decline starts from age of 35 and then continues. And therefore, you know, if we are going to live for now 80, 90 years, I think I just talked today with a with a group in Hong Kong and, and they would have the average uh, lifespan of 92 years by 2030. So I think people live longer. And the problem that we're going to have as a, as a healthcare system is that we are not going to be able to provide that health services simply because everything becomes very expensive. And so if people are going to also start work partially because of the, the chronic diseases that are raising, I mean, we see the last numbers that the prevalence of obesity and all heart diseases are incredibly high. So it means that we wouldn't be able to eventually generate this transition because of two reasons. One is the demographics because it's changing completely. So we don't really have um, enough working power anymore to sustain uh, that healthcare costs. And on the other side, I think that our health systems are not built, so there are incentives for the people to start taking care of their health early enough. So the problem, what we are solving with fund biomarkers is actually the prevention. We are really positioned into the preventive part of the healthcare system, where we think if today we only invest 3% of the total spend, then obviously that is not enough. And if we want to keep our healthcare system moving, providing care to all the people, we need to change something. This is really where we address this problem of early detection of chronic disease. We believe that one can stabilize the health for people for several years, at least, if discovered on time. So if I understand correctly, you try to identify new biomarkers in chronic diseases to prevent those devastating long-term diseases leading to longer life. More or less, is this the value proposition what quant biomarkers would offer? And no, that, that's not really. There are two parts of the innovation that we bring. One thing is entering the digitalization. There is a huge amount of electronic health records data of patients that we have been treated for the last 10 or 15 years back. So we are trying to utilize this data, understand based on the standard of care information, simple blood test, which are the risk factors that are driving the progression or development of a disease. Well, currently, we just work on chronic kidney disease because we thought that's very unmet need. There is a little happening in that field. And so we stepped in and together with two, we collaborate with the University Hospital in Denmark and with the University Hospital in Basel. And there we actually investigate what is happening in terms of changes in the blood biochemistry biomarkers that are standard of care, because this is really where we can early and effectively, with a very little cost, be able to understand the risk factors and take some already preemptive measures. So this is one part of our business. In the other side, as I said, you know, I think during all my career, I have been building partnerships pharma with, with other external development groups, you know, academia. We have a partnership that recently was signed off 
and where we are collaborating with, with another group who is having an innovative biomarker that has been identified to be the earliest indicator for uh, kidney damage. We try to, in one way, look retrospectively that the clinicians could act early, but on the other side, we are as well looking exactly on the biology of the disease with this new biomarker and try to understand if that would be probably a new solution, a new diagnostic tool that can uh, help as a screening tool to early detect uh, chronic kidney disease. Thank you. It clarifies. So can I assume that you would build some kind of prognostic risk algorithms out of that, which would help with the prevention, or it's more like understanding the risk factors and maybe collaborating with other companies who would build that algorithm? It's called clinical decision support software. Right, it's it's a solution. It's a category really well defined, that eventually would support the clinicians within all their assessment of making diagnosis. That will support them in giving another insight and analysis because we we have now half a million records where we train this model, and it's going to indicate if some of these risk factors have been applied to a patient, and what is the probability for risk that patient to develop disease within a year from now. We specifically focus on EGFR rate because this is really the only surrogate marker for chronic kidney disease, and therefore he would be able to predict all progression of chronic kidney disease. Thank you. No, that's uh, now clear. And let's go a little bit on the personal side of uh, starting a new business. You left Novarty uh, 7 behind. You were a really senior leader in the company and started your own shop. Maybe you even had to install printers, think of payrolls and getting maybe a lab space or an office. So, so how was this transition from the personal perspective, Sanya? Yeah. Yes. So I t- like entrepreneur to entrepreneur. If I can say, right, because you have built it also your own company. I think in the first steps are very hard because you understand you are on your own. In in one way, the uncertainty and the resilience that you have to build during that period of really putting the company together, it's immense. I think there is nothing similar that's not nothing comparable that I have experienced in my life. I have I had my growth starting from making my PhD and coming also as a foreigner in Switzerland. And I went through all of that phases. But this feeling that I have had when I started the company, I think it's it's uncomparable because it's a, it's a mix of going out of your comfort zone, being incredibly anxious in many ways. But on the other side, knowing that you could drive it, right? That everything is in your hands. And if you believe that you can bring the innovation forward, that is really something so incredibly powerful. So yes, to your point, I have to say that I, I, I felt very comfortable with the Basel business area. I mean, people really were around to help you exactly do these first steps. So I think many years ago, this ecosystem this did not exist. But now I think it's quite open and, it, and it's open for entrepreneurs really starting the business, having a guidance of what do you need to know? How do you make your first steps and having really people around that can help you and guide you? But obviously the drive will stay always, always with you. So for me, the positive side was that I always had a team. I you know people always think about how you, you can build a team. And I, I think that part was very easy for me. I believe in, in building relationships and thought, you know, majority of my career, I spent it a lot of time because I care about relationships. You know, there were many other challenges. Of course, the financing is always something that, you know, you as a new entrepreneur, you need to learn. 
I think my learning curve has never been so steep. I understand you have another big passion, which is you are in various companies, various organizations, a board member, you are country president of the VAB initiative as well. Can you tell us more about this board membership's role? After my corporate experience, I was thinking, what next could I do? Is Eventually, I came across the Virtual Advisory Board, which is a global group of professionals who have had an executive careers and thinking about what is next in their career. How could they give back after what they have learned for 30 years, you know, serving you know, in, in executive roles in, in different companies, I think in different sectors as well. I met the founders. They were, were building this we, two years ago. Uh, I think we have maybe three people in Switzerland. First of all, engaged to understand what is the purpose of the virtual advisory board platforms. I realized that it's all about the foresight and trends. I love strategy. I also would like to implement the strategy. I think I'm on a boat. And if we think about transitions that are now happening with many sectors, I think a lot of um, executives after the executive career are trying to understand what would be their their role. And their company boards, which are regulated, you know, where everybody has a financial responsibility and legal responsibility. But these new advisory boards are separate groups that are independent and they have a huge contribution in building the strategy. So I thought, oh my God, this is a fascinating because, you know, this is really where the most creative ideas can be born. And, you know, people who already have developed businesses and developed products and made impact also in different organizations, nonprofit, profit, you know, they will be able to come, they're so diverse and, and come and really give a perspective of that company how to, to position themselves, how to help driving some of their challenges. And I thought that certainly is the foresight. I started helping them building the idea, building the platform, understanding how can we profit from uh, this network, how we will connect them, how we'll offer also some of the programs that help also them to see what the opportunities are. Come together in a, in a community. There is a special expression, people grooming opportunities, where we actually, among us, we learn about potential uh, board roles, how the whole system is feeding in the, the opportunities. Day has 24 hours. How do you squeeze in all these activities into your day, Sanya? What's the secret? Yes, you know, the secret is the curiosity and the drive that I have in me. It's a part of my personality. But I honestly need to find a balance. We have just signed this licensing agreement, and then we are submitting a grant. I have a three advisory board roles. Uh, in very different businesses, from marketing to well-being and longevity and uh, venture capital group. So I think uh, that really is enough diverse for me. These two years were a building years. This year, I don't think that I have been very good uh, in balancing, but still, is the energy and the belief, right, in building something. That's an enormous power that you gain because you believe that you're building something that nobody else does. And that is really where I get the energy. And of course, I get the energy of all my good friends who never stop to call me, who really believe in me. And uh, you cannot be more thankful for having the environment helps me. 
Last question for today, Sonia, is that you started in basic research, you went to clinical research, you transitioned to the industry, various roles in marketing, and then after even going into sales, started your own business. So what would you give as an advice for the next generation? And I think curiosity is the most important thing. Every young person or everybody starting something has to have a curiosity and to have an ability for constant learning because it, you know we live now in a time of constant change change. There are new technologies that are coming um, up. And I think that that type of skill will be very much important to understand where your interests are. New generation will have to be even much more curious than we've ever been and trying to constantly learn of what is happening out there, right? What are the new trends? What are the new foresight? What comes out in understanding, uh, you know, what exists and uh, try to to get involved, engaged, look for learning about all of those before deciding to go. In. And so I think that offers a big opportunity to find the right direction. Continuous learning. What a great advice. Sonia, big thank you for coming. Uh, it was a pleasure having you and thanks for sharing all your insights with the audience. Thank you very much, Norbert. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to Care Captains on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. See you next time.